Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. This is season six, episode one, High Standards and Low Expectations. As always, I am your host, Laura Boyle. Uh, You can find me and my blog at readyforpolyamory.com. Today's guest is Michelle High, an educator out of Portland, Oregon, who is here to talk with us about polyamorous dating, about what her philosophy of having high standards and low expectations really means, and generally to talk about the experience of engaging with people in a solo polyamorous way is. You can find Michelle at her website, Polyamorous While Asian, or on Instagram at Polyamorous While Asian. This subject is one that's really important to me because it's us talking about different ways to relate to people and ways to build the relationship you're really looking to have with folks. So I hope you really enjoy this interview with Michelle, and I'll see you on the other side. So thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. (laughs) And I really wanted to have a chance to sit down and chat with you a little because a lot of your posts on Instagram are really insightful about the kind of solo polyamorous experience and building and rebuilding your own standards for how you're going to date and how you're going to relate to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was a really valuable thing to kind of bring forward more specific information about. Uh, I really enjoyed you have a sort of series of a couple posts about this idea of high standards and low expectations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I love I love talking about that. It's just, <laughs> um, it's basically how I kind of encompass my personal dating style. And it's not something that I feel like, oh, everyone should do necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people could, I think, benefit um, from this style. Um, basically, like it, it is it is what it sounds like uh, high standards, low expectations, where it's like going into dating, having a certain standard, you know, having certain boundaries, knowing like, you know, uh, when I'm swiping on the apps or something, you know, no, no Trump supporters, you know, like, or, or people who, yeah, it's, or, you know, I'm, I'm looking for things like people who have thought a bit about how they relate, you know, whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous, whatever their style is, you know, people who do some introspection, maybe people who go to therapy or something. Um, and then the low expectation part, um, what that is, you know, this is kind of like, I don't know, gets into the nitty gritty of semantics or whatever, because expectations can mean different things, to different people. But for mm-hmm. me, what I'm saying is more of like, you know, when I uh, first start relating with someone, not having a specific goal beyond figuring out whether or not uh, we can relate or connect well with each other. And so, um, you know, not having the expectation that like, oh, this person is going to be like uh, a like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the expectation that like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, eventually move in together and get married and stuff. Um, it's more going into dating with this open mindset of being like, yeah, whatever works, works within the context of this specific dynamic, because every dynamic is different. Every dynamic is going to bring out different things from different people. And so just kind of letting the relationship go wherever it will organically go. So it sounds like it's a very, and I 
really loved the examples you gave of what some of the standards might be, especially because, wow, my list is like eight times as long as that. And all of those are the bar is on the floor. Um, <laughs> they introspect some. They may have gone to therapy. May my have, friend, yeah. <laughs> these are... Wow. <laughs> As someone who is terribly picky with my standards, mm -hmm. I appreciate this viewpoint because I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So it's not crazy that I look at these things and I go, okay, I would prefer them to have values that align with mine and that they seem to be thinking intensely about some of these things about how they relate because I think pretty intensely about them. And so I'd like us both to come at this with some deliberateness, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a nice way to approach it. And also when you're both being deliberate about approaching it, it makes that second part easier because essentially that low expectations thing is throwing out some of these scripts, right? Exactly almost relationship anarchist way of approaching it in saying we really don't have to say we're going on dates to date in scare quotes <laughs> we're going out on meetings to get to know each other to figure out what this is going to become mm -hmm. yeah yeah because i mean there's like yeah uh on a dating app, you know, even if a person completely fills it out and writes paragraphs about themselves, like you still really don't know the person. And um, like circumstances, uh, the, the, so many things are just so different in each dynamic um, that like there are people that, you know, I went on a date with and like maybe we had sex, but then we just like became friends or whatever. Um, there's like some people where uh, our relationship has been sending each other just memes back and forth. And that is like the primary mode of our communication. And then other people where it's like, wow, I feel like I can picture actually, you know, having you in my life in one capacity or another for the rest of my life. Um, so it's all so different. And I love being open as much as, you know, I reasonably can uh, to a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of like with some people, it really is just we're going to breadcrumb memes for the next two years. <laughs> and with some people, it's OK, we're going to be really close friends and text every day and go to karaoke once a week and this, that, the other, and keep each other apprised of all our ups and downs, but it doesn't feel romantic. Mm -hmm. And this other person, it sort of does feel romantic, but it doesn't feel sexual. And this third person, it feels very sexual, but it doesn't feel that romantic. <laughs> and build an ecosystem exactly. for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Ecosystem. I really like that word for this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... As somebody who doesn't live with any of my partners and like doesn't really foresee a future in which I do so for at least the next decade or so, uh, I have children who I consider kind of my primary partners at the moment. Um, and so other than them, I don't foresee nesting with anyone. So none mm -hmm. of these romantic or other connections are going to be people moving in with me, not sort of looking at things from that standpoint often makes people in my experience regard me as like oh so you're going to be a secondary partner mm -hmm. and while sometimes that's true yeah <laughs> sometimes that's talking past each other mm. 
And I wonder if that's a thing that you've also run into in this experience of being some version of solo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's right. That's, that's one of the like wonderful things about being solo where it's like, yeah, I, I also live by myself and I don't foresee, you know, living with a partner anytime soon, even though I'm not like completely close to it. Um, but right. There is this almost assumption where it's like as a solo polyamorous person, I don't know, maybe sometimes people like, take pity on you a little bit where it's like, oh, you've relegated yourself to be the side chick forever or something. <laughs> like as if it's not my choice, as if it's not something that I actually really enjoy being. Um, uh, like, you know, on, on the one hand, like I can, I can be like, not to be too derivative, but like the fun girlfriend, right? The one you don't have to pay bills with, the ones that you don't have to, you know, maybe co-parent with or, you know, like uh, the logistical stuff. Um, and yeah, there's like so many people think of that, even within non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. It's it's always it's always sadder when it's like someone within the community or whatever. Like feel that that is like less mature. It's a less mature way of being. It's like oh, you're too closed off, or you're, um, you know, you're not ready for that level of commitment where you can live with somebody and, you know, do all of those uh, nesting partner things with somebody. And it's yeah, it's it's always a shame to to come across that. Right. It's hard because it feels like it's almost a mononormative way of doing non-monogamy to be mm -hmm. like, how many people will I ride the relationship escalator with? <laughs> right. <laughs> as mm -hmm. opposed to some of my relationships do this and some of them don't. Mm -hmm. And I figure out what each of those mean to me in their own way. And I don't say this to like bash anyone's particular way of doing non-monogamy, just that sometimes that's the feeling that I get from people who are then looking at me and being like pityingly like, it's okay, you'll find that nesting person someday. <laughs> right, right. Really the whole like the, the monogamy with more steps kind of thing. Um, which like, uh, and again, you know, like, like you were saying, you know, not wanting to bash any specific style because there's, uh, that style works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's bad. It's just when, you know, those kind of people are like, look down on other styles, um, that yeah, don't follow the scripts as, as much or didn't, don't follow the escalator, um, quite as much. And it's like, I don't know, like <laughs> with my page and stuff, I just really want whatever works for everyone. I just want them to be able to pursue that, whatever that looks like, you know? <laughs> well, right. And it's a matter of this, like, idea of fundamental autonomy of, like, figuring out what it is we actually want out of each of these interactions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and sometimes that means that they follow a particular script to a point. And sometimes it means that they have no relation to the script and we're rewriting it as we go. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is like one of the best things about non-monogamy and relationship anarchy and all that. And then also one of the most like terrifying and stressful things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because like it is sometimes stressful to be in a relationship and go, wait, I don't have a guidepost for what happens next. Mm -hmm. Or if a different something happens or we just keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't stand in front of a person and sign the piece of paper and say death till death to us part. What are we? What are we doing? Where is this going? <laughs> right, mm -hmm. Like me and my partner have several times had the conversation of like, what do we want to do? And it's like, well, I would just like to keep doing this. 
Yeah. Right. So many people think of that as like stagnation, where it's like, oh, like I am, <laughs> like a monogamous friend of mine. Uh, like we, were, we were talking and, and, um, they were talking about like, oh, how they want to get married by a certain age and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And it made me think of like the people who, you know, maybe are engaged for forever. And that's, that's frowned upon. And mm -hmm. like, even as a young kid, I didn't really understand because it's like, well, if you're going to be with this person forever, what does it matter? <laughs> like if you have the piece of paper or the ring or, or, or whatnot, like I, I, I do understand, you know, certain uh, uh, like celebration and, and symbolism, like, you know, matters, but at the same time, yeah, if you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone, does it matter? <laughs> right. Or like, I understand that for legal purposes, sometimes crossing the line mm, into mm -hmm. like, we are legally married because there are this many laws that only apply to married couples. Yes. Going to City Ugh. Hall and signing the piece of paper mm -hmm. matters. But the people who are like, we're going to stay at having handed each other a ring forever. Mm-hmm. I've never really gotten it. It's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, honestly, in a weird way, I'm sort of probably going to do that with my partner because we were like, we'd kind of like to do a thing, but we don't know what thing. Mm -hmm. And that might be the form the thing takes. We're still negotiating. Yeah. I'm like, hello, internet. I have told you this thing. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but like, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it's probably going to look like a ceremony of some kind, but it's not going to be legal in any way. Mm. We were joking <laughs> about like, let's do an extra legal elopement. Should we go to Vegas? No. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. There are bigamy laws. It's a problem. <laughs> um, oh, those pesky laws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, even as a solo polyamorous person, like, I love ceremony. I love, you know, having excuses to celebrate things and to symbolize things. Like, it's a very human thing. And I love that. Yeah, it's like, I love, um, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> Jada Kissed on, on Instagram, where she's talked about, like, yeah, I hate marriage, but I love weddings. And it's like, yeah, they hate super fun. <laughs> parties, right? To celebrate, like, our love, to celebrate our loved ones, like, that's amazing. Like that should be cultivated more. Absolutely. Throw yeah. giant anniversary parties <laughs> periodically. <laughs> I'm here for that. Right. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it would be great if we normalized that or even because like length of time isn't really the important thing. Mm -hmm. Just we feel like doing this and it has this symbolism for us. Come join us. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And like, as much as people don't like sort of thinking of it that way, all their religious things of any religion are just kind of, you do ritual items and it then creates symbolism for you. So like, if you want to make up your own, additionally, if you're non-religious, look, you have created ritual. It is important. Mm -hmm. Your friends are bound into it. Try not to steal other people's. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like, for example, um, I once told a partner where it's like, you know, if you were to give me a rock, and I just and if I knew that you were outside and you looked at a rock and you're like, this made me think of Michelle, and you gave it to me, I would love that. Like that, that would mean so much to me. And so, <laughs> like, a couple of Christmas ago, gave me a couple rocks. And then my uh, this past, um, 
birthday, he gave me a rock and he put like a little gold smiley face on it. And I love it so much. <laughs> and it's so silly. It's so yeah. silly and wonderful. <laughs> and it's a little a garden rock that I think he got out of his front yard, you know? <laughs> right. But like he decorated it. He gave it to you. He thought about you. Done. Mm hmm. Right. And now it's like solidified in my mind and it just, it's, yeah, it's, it's special just because. <laughs> right. You guys have made it symbolic and now it is special. Mm -hmm. This is like, so I knit, so I make things for people. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of the hours that go into it, it's like here, this is a little container full of love. I spent these hours of my life mm -hmm. on you. Enjoy. Um, right. And I put no expectations on that for children because they outgrow everything and also they cannot <laughs> be expected to understand this but like for adults i'm like you need to understand the symbolism of this item i'm handing you right gosh like right pair of knitting. Socks took oh 16 gosh. hours to make you <laughs> mm -hmm. like enjoy oh yeah I, that's why i love handmade gifts just like thinking about how the person like you know was crafting it with their hands and like and it's like just have you in their mind while they're doing this and spending like hours and hours probably over the course of probably like several days and stuff and it's just ah it's just it's so wonderful <laughs> right so there's all these other ways that we could show our commitment so all of the kind of not just monogamous but also sometimes people within our own community who are like well, if you're not nesting, if you're not moving it to this level or that level, who go, well, it's just a sign that you're not that committed to it, are wrong. We're doing mm -hmm. our own alternative commitments, whatever they are, whether it's keeping a date night that we have planned at whatever interval, whether it's keeping an agreement that we've made between us of whatever kind, right? Like commitment looks different ways to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, yeah, going back to like the high standards, low expectations thing, it's like, um, you know, I don't want to be misunderstood in saying that like, oh, you should never have any expectations whatsoever for your partners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying some like loosey goosey, mm -hmm. like toxic go with the flow, like BS. Like um, the, the point is, is like creating those expectations together and actually really sussing out like, oh, is this something you actually want to do with me? Speci like, um, okay, yeah, let's do it then. Or it's like, oh, maybe, you know, this is something that I like to do, but maybe you don't like to do it. So we won't have that expectation to do that in this relationship. But we're explicit about that with each other. We don't um, just put these invisible expectations on each other, which inevitably lead to conflict and like resentment and stuff. Um, and yeah, yeah, just like, you know, what we've been saying before, just like really focusing on that co-creation of a dynamic of a dynamic no matter what it looks like. Right, really customize your commitments and really like build it from the ground up so that you don't end up with the thing where one of you is festering on, well, but I really wanted someone who's going to play Dungeons and Dragons with me every single <laughs> Tuesday. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. the other one's like, but babe, I hate RPGs. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that that near circle of like D and D and non-monogamy. <laughs> it's a stack of pancakes. Mm -hmm, right, um, yeah, D and D non-monogamy kink, like oh, <laughs> stack of pancakes, exactly. Ren fairs, larpers. Oh just... god, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. My meta owns a Ren Fair. I can't not make the joke. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, but yes, so when you end up sort of actually co-creating something, you end up in a place where everybody's needs from the particular dynamic are being met. And that doesn't mean that all of your needs are being met within a particular dynamic, but it means that each of you is taking ownership of your own needs. And then in taking ownership of your own needs, you're working with your entire network of relations, right? Each of your relationships to help you in meeting your own needs. Cause I don't say meet your own needs in like a hyper independent, super toxic way. I mean it in a like, determine what you need help with and from whom and delegate appropriately (laughs) and also figure Mm -hmm. out what you do yourself because each of us needs to stand on our own two feet for some portions of things but we also exist in community right so like Mm -hmm. our friends help us with some things because some of our needs are legitimately for spending time with friends Mm -hmm. And things like this, right? So, like, some of these things really matter in terms of, like, what's the word I'm thinking? Uh, You don't always have to, like, self-soothe about everything. You can, like, um, what's it called? Co-regulate with people Mm. when you're having problems. Mm -hmm. And knowing which of your partners are there for that work. So that you know that you're not just the fun girlfriend (laughs) for everyone, right? You know Mm -hmm. who it's safe to be a whole human around and who it is that you're like really just there for a good time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because every once in a while, it's okay to have a person who you're just a good time for in your life. I call those people party friends Mm -hmm. and I try to consume them in small doses um, and don't give them more than that of my own energy. Right. But like figuring out who it is that you can be a whole person around is important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is one of the things that like recently in therapy, it was one of those like, duh, kind of moments, because I think it's something that I already knew, but didn't know in that particular like perspective or that angle um, where so long, I I think I also you know, why I'm drawn toward like solo polyamory is I do like to do a lot of things alone and by myself. Like it's, you know, a, a little bit of a, an aspect of it is like, you know, as a, you know, avoidant type, you know, childhood attachment wounds and, and whatnot, like I do tend to withdraw a lot um, as a coping mechanism, but also I generally enjoy a lot of alone time. Um, so in therapy, my therapist was like, well, it seems like you've got the independent stuff, like actually like you've, you've got that nailed down. It seems like you seem like a pretty independent, self-sufficient person. Um, it's really, you know, it seems like your work is mostly like the relational stuff, like learning, like to healthily co-regulate and whatnot. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, duh. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I, I, um, I put so much pressure on myself to like, Oh, why am I not able to like regulate by myself um, well enough sometimes? And then having this realization that like, Oh, well, because I'm meant to actually be co-regulating with someone. Um, and that's the real work. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Like to, to heck with that hyper-independent like BS it's oh, no community and the autonomous individual, like in tandem, that's, 
Oh, that's beautiful. Well, right. And it's like, that is where the real meat of things is, is figuring out how we can exist in our communities because we're in this culture that like has sort of saturated us with these hyper-independent messages that they're like, oh, we'll leaven it a little by saying that your monogamous relationship should give you the only space that you can co-regulate in and like be your everything. Mm-hmm. And so as non-monogamous, we're in theory stepping out of that, but some people only take it as far as like, well, okay, I'm going to have like two relationships that I can co-regulate in. And I'm still going to block all of my friends as far out of this emotional community as possible. Mm. And so this idea of like legitimately building community in a kind of, I don't want to be like too much of a nerd, but in a kind (laughs) of anti-capitalist and kind of queering our whole system way is actually a useful thing that we can do with our non-monogamy in my Mm -hmm. opinion oh absolutely that's like i'm like by this point i'm like tired of the like talks of like oh how do you manage your jealousy in non-monogamy what do you do if you don't like your metamorph like these conversations are absolutely definitely still important and relevant but like that's not where the meat is like you know like what you're just talking about like you know being a nerd but like you know relating in ways that are more anti-capitalist that do um, you know actually promote community instead of hyper individualism? That uh, don't continue to promote like zero sum thinking and scarcity mindset, and you know acknowledging real material conditions and how we can combat that, but like all together, you know mm-hmm. through mutual aid and things like that. Like that's all it it's all related. Um, it, it can all be related in non monogamy and like ah I, I love that stuff. Yeah, and so I feel like that work is the hard stuff that I'm just starting to get into as an individual. Mm. And for me, I feel like if I'm just starting to get into this and I've been non-monogamous for 15 years now, um, that's part of why all of the conversations keep cycling back over how do I manage my jealousy? Mm -hmm. How do I talk to my meta? What do I do about these interactions? Because all of the people who are just coming into this need those conversations. And so we all Mm -hmm. keep cycling back to make sure that like, these are the mistakes I made and here's how you avoid them. Right. Or like, here's how I hope you avoid them. If you need to make your own mistakes (laughs) to learn this, I understand most of Mm -hmm. us do right like and so we keep cycling back and so people come to those to these other topics in whatever time frame it becomes applicable to their lives and for some Mm -hmm. people that's sooner and for some people that's later and i think it very much depends on like how lucky or unlucky you are in finding community how privileged you are in other ways right so like I had the sort of combination shield and bad luck of the shield of being from a relatively privileged background. Like I have a family who can help support me as a fallback and bad luck in that I found like intense community-based polyamorous community that like is cohesive and is actually trying to do some of this 
anti-capitalist community-based work only in the mm -hmm. last few years, like 2019 type timing. And then the pandemic happened and we were yeah. all like, oh shit. <laughs> right so like mm -hmm. i guess we have a like 50 person discord now you know like <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think you know it it kind of is a a good sign like kind of being tired of all of these topics coming up again and again and again because they are coming up again and again and again because like you know 10 15 years ago like we weren't getting tired of this stuff because nobody was talking about it. Yeah, nobody um, was talking about it. Yeah, but now there are spaces where people are talking about it like almost ad nauseum. <laughs> and like, so it's good. It is ultimately good that people are talking about this and, you know, everyone starts somewhere. And so like, you know, yeah, jealousy talks, meta talks are the gateway drugs into, you know, <laughs> the meteor. <laughs> like, how can we... <laughs> How can we're we slipping uh, them some weed and now we're taking the mushrooms? Here we go. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Get ready to go on a journey. <laughs> Get your my shit rocks on. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, and and there, it's it's also like there's a lot of people, probably the majority, really, of people who enter into non-monogamy not wanting to be radical at all. You know, they do want to just like. Not just, but they do want to um, still exist uh, comfortably within like a capitalist society and whatnot. And and like I can't, you know, I can't fault them like a hundred percent. You know, it's like we're trying our best to survive and thrive in this society. <laughs> right. We are still living through the fall of the U.S. empire, so we do mm. have to live within the rules to some extent. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the faces we're making at each other, you guys, the slight gags that you can't see. It's. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But, you know, living through the fall of Empire, we are allowed to have our little treats. And if that includes needing to be capitalists, so be it. Um, mm -hmm. But for some people, the like, hope to do some community-based things to try to be somewhere better as things collapse is a thing that non-monogamy mm -hmm. can be helpful for. Right. And also with like, the, you know, the collapse, <laughs> the collapse of the, uh, you know, American empire, um, you know, even monogamous people make the joke of like, oh, monogamy in this economy. Like, right. you know, even monogamous people are making these jokes because, like it's <laughs> you know a lot of people uh like living by myself in this little studio like that is a like kind of a privilege because like yeah rent is freaking expensive <laughs> and so you know living with people is like uh oftentimes the most viable way to live without spending like 90 percent of your income on rent and so um yeah yeah i mean uh you know, thinking thinking about the empire again. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. We're halfway in a Star Wars joke and halfway in the Borg. Like there's only <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of sci-fi metaphors to be had here. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But that all being the case it is still absolutely worth it to find the moments of joy that strongly built relationships can afford us 
no matter what form of relationship they be, whether they be platonic, queer platonic, romantic, sexual, what have we. And in sort of deliberately building them from the ground up by having relatively low expectations as they begin and by actually applying our standards, whatever they are, and thinking ahead of time about what our standards for relating to people are. So you vaguely mentioned the idea of boundaries uh, and I threw out earlier thinking about what our values are. And I think those are good ideas to sort of put out there for listeners to take a minute and think about like, what are your values in a relationship? What are the boundaries that you really can't cross? Because I think a lot of the time people are just like, are these humans of the genders I'm attracted to? Are they cute? Do they sort of follow a relational style that I find acceptable? Mm -hmm. And if they cross that on the floor bar, they're just like, well, yes, of course we shall go out and then see if the date doesn't completely bomb. (laughs) and while that's okay if you approach it with no expectation it goes from low expectation to no expectation at that point (laughs) and like having been on a lot of bad dates in the last year and a half to two years i can say that it was not a way of handling it that worked super well for me and after reading your posts about this i actually started trying to apply this strategy And it helped me a bunch Mm. because it spared me several of the like, wait, I'm not actually applying a standard to the way I'm trying to meet people Mm -hmm. and doing that helped me. And I'm not saying this to like suggest that everyone needs to go out and do this (laughs) because obviously it may not apply to you or, you know, casting a wider net depending on where you live may be more necessary. I'm not in an urban area, but I am in a densely populated area. Uh, I am on the last stop on the commuter train into New York. And so there is nothing but suburbs solidly for the next two hours. And there are a lot of polyamorous people in those suburbs. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. That is not the case for everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like non-monogamous dating, like I know it can be, it can be really tempting to like, just when you find out that someone's like polyamorous or open or, you know, non-monogamous in some way, you're like, oh, like, uh, maybe we can connect just on that. And, you know, sometimes it does work out, but like, uh, just that commonality is not enough because there are just way too many ways to do non-monogamy and a lot of them are not compatible with each other. Well, right. And it may be that even if you're doing non-monogamy similarly, you may not be doing anything else in life similarly. It might (laughs) turn out that like, like there are some very friendly and polite people in my area who like, we have nothing in common values wise, except that they're Mm non-monogamous. Like, they voted Republican in the last three elections. They generally disagree with pretty much every political opinion that I consider to be like the political is personal sort of Mm -hmm. opinions. And the personal being political is one of those things that I'm like, no, this is one of the ways you avoid falling into a fascist hellscape. Mm -hmm. So I can't drop that as a value. 
And then on top of that, they listen to crappy music and (laughs) like have bad haircuts. So Mm -hmm. I really can't get behind that or in front of that as the case may be. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And like, so there are things where it's like, in theory, we practice the same kind of non-monogamy and like it should line up very neatly. But mm-hmm. then you have to check box all the other things and go, well, no. I'm I know you're non-monogamous <laughs> and kinky, but the rest of that doesn't line up. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're like completely different fonts. It's not gonna work out. We clash. Oh, not yeah, good. It's just I'm putting comic sans next to papyrus and why? Oof. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, what is what is this what is this sans serif font doing here? Out, mm-hmm. out with you. <laughs> yeah, um, but right, you know, again, you know, it's it is all about like, you know, getting away from semantics and everything. It is about values and stuff. It is about values and knowing yourself. Like, is the most important thing you can do when dating. Like, knowing yourself is the best way to be able to, like figure out how you know you orient yourself around other people and how other people orient themselves around you so like you know if you know that you want kids or something or if you know uh, specifically what your political values are or what your you know yeah or <laughs> your <laughs> if, if, if your values on hair care are super important you know hygiene super important um <laughs> make sure those align and then figure out from there like what you can build together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really essentially it. And that's the point that we've been driving home this whole time uh, as we intermittently stopped along the way in a little bit of discussion about solo polyamory and what we sort of like and don't like about it. Mostly like, I don't think either of us actually said anything bad. No. No, I mean, you know, paying, I, I think I did say that like the paying rent, rent. as a single person, that's, rent. that's a pretty bad one. <laughs> yeah, and to avoid the rent, I live in an intergenerational home with family, mm. which like has its own challenges. So, right, yeah, pros and cons, pros and cons, yeah, everywhere. So living situations, <laughs> yeah, that's the, mm-hmm. good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, we found. <laughs> both sides, we got both sides of the argument there. <laughs> Very measured, very, very balanced. We're like a major reporting. news network here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the New York Times here. <laughs> yeah. So, Michelle, thank you so much for being with me. Everyone should follow Michelle at Polyamorous While Asian. Uh, you'll find the links to all her stuff in the show notes. Um, and I really appreciate you coming and chatting with me. It has been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for having me on. So I'm so grateful to Michelle for joining us to talk about the solo polyamorous experience, polyamorous relating in general, and kind of different possibilities for your relationships as both practical everyday things and the possibility of kind of radicalizing our day-to-day experience. If you've enjoyed today's episode, follow Michelle at Polyamorous While Asian on Instagram or visit her site, polyamoruswhileasian.com to get more information about her. And of course, 
you can always follow my blog, readyforpolyamory.com, or uh, follow me on Instagram or TikTok at readyforpolyamory, or now I've changed my Twitter handle uh, on Twitter at ready for like the number, polyamory. So I've updated from my former uh, Twitter name, but alas, Twitter has limited characters that you can have. So I can't have a perfectly identical handle everywhere. So sad. But if you really enjoyed today's episode, go and uh, follow Michelle or come follow me and think about leaving one or both of us tips. Our tip jars are linked in the show notes. I'll be back next week with Yana Talon Hicks, a sex educator and therapist who has written the book Hot and Unbothered that we're going to be talking about. Uh, And that'll be out next Thursday. Thanks for joining me.